You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Are you in Colossians? Did you make it there? Let me talk a little bit about it before we get into it today. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. How many know who Paul is? Raise your hand if you know Paul. Good, we have a good starting base. Paul, at this point in life, is in prison. He's in Roman prison, and he's in prison for a crime he did not commit. No, that's A-team. Anyway, um, he's in prison. (laughs) He's in prison, (laughs) and he is hearing about a church in the region of Colossae by Epaphras. Epaphras is a man who helped start the church. Oddly enough, this is not a church that Paul started, nor is it a church that Paul ever visited. But Paul is such a proponent of the church that whenever he hears about things going on, he wants to address it. And so today, as we get in this, or I should say over the next four weeks, we're going to be diving into the four chapters of Colossians. Let me remind you again, Paul did not write this in chapters. This is one complete letter. We broke it down into chapters so we could easily digest it. But if I were to break up his letter into four chapters, these would be the themes of each chapter. The first chapter would be Paul focusing on the personal, his personal life. As you would write a letter, right, you first start out. Again, never met these people. He's kind of sharing a little bit about his life, who he is. Number two, the second chapter would be the doctrinal. He's sharing about the doctrine or the theology behind what he does. Number three, it's the practical. And number four, it's the relational. At the end of a letter, you're going to write some things like, I can't wait to see you, or I love talking about you, or I think great things about you, whatever those things are. But this is the letter to the region of Colossae. And I want you to stand, if you would. We're going to read a little bit from it today from chapter one. If you have your Bibles, chapter one, go all the way down to verse nine. This is Paul's personal prayer. He said, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now pause for a moment. How cool is that? That the apostle Paul has not ceased to pray for them. What an encouragement to the church. It says, we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, come on, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Now, verse 15, he gets into the gospel. He just shares a little bit. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, you church, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body 
of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, verse 24, Paul shares his personal mission. Now, I rejoice in my suffering. Remember, he's in jail right now. For your sake and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mysteries, look at this, the mysteries hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this majesty, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Today, the title of my message is Time to Grow Up. So as you sit down, turn to somebody and say, you need to grow up and sit down. Grow up and sit down. <laughs> Time to grow up. Has anyone ever said that to you recently? Are you one of those people that people say, please grow up? Raise, that, raise your hand if you're one of those people that always gets called out for being immature. I like you people. Scott, totally see it. Dan, totally. My father-in-law, totally see it. Papa Chuck, absolutely. A lot of guys. Any girls that are immature, time to grow up. Any women? Come on. Okay, I see one. Okay, uh, Kelly, put your hand up. I believe in that one. The reality is... As we get older, what do we want to do? We want to get younger. There used to be a song we used to sing in church called, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us. I'm kidding. That wasn't church, but how many remember Toys R Us? Yeah, remember that? Rest in peace. Okay. The point of it was we always want to get older, but sometimes we go back to the old things. And as a dad, can I talk to the dads for a moment? One of the greatest joys of being a dad, can I tell you what it is? You want to know what it is? It's embarrassing your kids. It's not just for dads. It's for moms as well. Now, you know what's funny? I, I will say this. I found like when I grew up, when I was a little kid, my dad would do stuff. My grandfather, wow, he was embarrassing. Um, Italian is all get out. Woo, Jesus name. And I was like, I'll never do that. But then something happens. Like, you know how, like, you, we talk about dad jokes, and it's like, I'll never tell dad. Then you do it, and you're, like, so proud about it. You start laughing before you even get to the punchline. There's, like, some kind of honor and dignity in that kind of thing. And so with my kids, and, and I don't want to look at them right now while I say this, but, like, one of my greatest joys recently is using their slang words in sentences that I say. Because not only does it show how old I am, but it also shows how cool I am. No, no, I, I added that last one. It's not very cool. So I thought I would do you guys a service. I'm going to share some slang words from the kids today. Okay? But here's what I need you to do. Because I know we got a lot of young adults in here, and you're going to be like, I know what that word means. If you are a, under the age of 40, you are not allowed to participate. Okay? Uh, let me do 35. I'll bring the 36-year-olds because you're old anyway. Okay, the point of it is, 
I'm going to give you a couple. Some of you are like offended. This is just the beginning. This is the fun part. I'm going to get to the offensive part yet. I'm going to give you a couple, a couple words here. Let's put this first one up here. If anybody knows what this means. Anybody know what that means? Come on now, Angela. Shout it out. Win. All I do is win. Now, some of you should have got that because you used to go like this growing up, right? Well, that's the easiest one I got. We're going to go deeper. Do the next one, please, here. Anybody know what this means? What is it? If you know, you know. And some of you had no clue, and you still don't see it. It's the first letter of each of the word and the phrase. Okay, let's keep moving on here. Let's go to the next one. Some of you, some of you be like, is that my faucet at night? And what's going on, man? <laughs> I got so many jokes, I can't tell. But the point of it is, anybody know what the drip is? Come on now. Older people, come on now. What is it? Come on, John. Come on. It's your fit. It's your style. I know Vincent knows. Anybody, look, look down at your clothes that you wore, and you can tell if you got drip. Some of you just dropping. They're not drip. It's been dropped. Probably about 30 years ago. Back in the day, you had drip. Now you got... <laughs> All right, next one. Next one. Next one. No cap. Now, we're getting... We're getting a little harder now. We get a little harder now. Now, some of you be like, no cap. You're like, what's that mean? Like, don't wear it in church? No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about no cap. No cap. Come on now. Anybody? What is it? That's truth. Come on, Kelly. Kelly, you don't qualify. You're a teacher in high school. She knows this. Okay. No, no cap means truth. Now, let me flow it on the other side. If somebody says cap, that means a lie. Some people are getting educated. This may be more revelation than the word of God to some of you. I'm not sure about this. Let's keep going. Next one, please. Oh, I like this one. Now, this is the one I use on my kids. I'm like, your dad's got the riz. It's spelled with one Z and two Zs. I've looked it up. My kids are debating me now. It's two Zs. So it's one Z. Anybody know what the riz is? Some of you are like, wasn't that the rat on Muppets? Rizzo? Riz is charisma. Young people, how many would say your parents got riz? Come on, put your hands up. Put your, put your hands up in this area right here. Put your... Jeez. I get no respect. Okay, anyway, next one, please. I got another one. I got another one. Some of you glow up. Now, I, I, and I know this probably more for girls, right? They glow up. And that's when you get done up. No, you, a man can glow up. Okay, what does glow up mean? Somebody? You get better looking. Oh, okay, some of you still glowing up. Okay, let's do one last one. Ooh. Now, before we get into this, this is not a Halloween thing. I will say that I have experienced this and it bothers me to all get out. I've noticed that the generation that is under me, the younger generation, seems to do this more than our generation. Because we were taught when somebody talks to you, you respond. And that carries over into the texting world. Right, ladies and gentlemen? Come on, older generation, can I? You text somebody, you give them a thumbs up or anything. But nowadays, this generation, it's called ghosting. Where you just don't respond. You just disappear like a ghost. Have you ever experienced anybody ghosting you? Hey. What time are we meeting? 
Just text me back. Come on now. Don't ghost me. And the reality is the worst ghosting is when it says text read, when it has a read receipt, and they still don't get back to you. Okay. That's what I do as your pastor just to educate you. Young people, you're welcome. I just allowed your parents and the older generation into your world now. As you'll be leaving, you'll be like, like your drip, man. Yeah. And kids will go home embarrassed. Now, let me say this. Me trying to be cool using Riz and, and, and all these other things, whether it's one Z or two, what, it, it, it's just a sign of immaturity. Right? Do you remember that? Like, How many of you that are older remember when you were young and your parents used to try to be cool? How embarrassing that was, right? Well, Paul is talking to the church, and he's addressing immaturity in the church. Why can Paul do that? Because Paul is essentially like the dad of the church. You know what dad's like? We just say things because we're the dad. Paul's can say things to the church, and people respected him. In verse 28, he says this, him we proclaim. This is, this is what Paul's saying. This is what I'm going to do for the church. I warn everyone, and I teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. How many know that we have a church in this nation particularly that has a lot of immaturity in it? We get excited about the wrong things. And we sure don't know the word as much as we should. And so Paul is saying to the church of Colossae, there's a notion that's coming back to me. I'm hearing it from Epaphras. You're saying that you need more than just Jesus. And, and I want to tell you as your dad, your spiritual father, Jesus is all you need. And so the moment you start adding other things to the gospel is you start watering down and mixing up and polluting the gospel. So Paul is saying, you're going to have to grow up. Stop adding things to the gospel, as the kids would say. Stop being extra. No, I got more. Let's keep going. There's three particular trains of thought that Paul is addressing. I want to share them with you. But let me say this. Essentially, the three caps to the gospel. So proud of myself, man. I don't care if you guys like it or not. I don't care. Some of you, it's blessing you? Thank you, thank you. The three caps. By the way, some of you forgot what cap means. That means fake, false, okay? These three things have crept into the church. Jewish legalism, Gnostic mysticism, and religious asceticism. I'm going to explain to you what they mean. Because I believe that these same three things are still in the church today. Let's break it down. Jewish legalism. That means adding something to the gospel. The Jews that were seeing this new thing called Christianity built up would say, as these Gentiles would come into the church, they'd say, that's great that you love Jesus, but we also need you to get circumcised and stop eating certain foods and start honoring the Sabbath. You got to do certain things. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know that they added things. There's these legalistic things added. Every Friday at sundown, in Israel, if you honor the Jewish traditions, there are things you will not be able to do in Israel. You're not going to be able to food shop. In fact, you have to prepare all your food ahead of time for Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, into Saturday evening. In fact, when we were there, there's actually elevators that are set up for the Sabbath because, God forbid, you to push a button. 
That's work. If there's any kind of electricity flipping a switch, that constitutes as work. And so the elevator on the Sabbath will go to every floor, open, close. Next floor, open, close. God forbid you live on the 30th floor. You're going to be every floor, every, I'll just walk. No, the point of it is, is that is legalism. And Paul's saying, you're adding things to the gospel. Jesus didn't come so you couldn't push buttons. This is deeper than that. Then there's this Gnostic mysticism, which is creating things. It was a secret knowledge. It's this movement of a Greco-Roman kind of ideology, world culture that was coming in, particularly in the second century. And Plato was someone that dabbled in this. Gnosticism is based on two false premises, essentially. First, it, it spouses a dualism regarding spirit and matter. What it said was, the spirit is good, the matter or your body, the natural, is evil. So if you sin in the natural, it doesn't really matter because your spirit is holy, your body is not. You can see how that could get out of hand real quick. Second, Gnostics claim to possess an elevated knowledge or a higher truth known only to a certain few. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. So their whole desire was to obtain knowledge from some spiritual force. How many know there's a lot of spiritual forces wishing to give you knowledge? And so once they had this particular higher knowledge, it didn't have to come from the word. It just came from somewhere. Then they felt that they had some deeper connection to the gods. In fact, they believed that Jesus wasn't truly, you know, human. He was really almost like a phantom. He could kind of walk in between worlds. And, and, and that goes against the very gospel nature. If Jesus wasn't human, he couldn't be a sacrifice for our sins. They emphasize spiritual knowledge above teachings and traditions. And so we know this because we see this in Acts 8. If you remember, last year we talked about Simon the Magician. Remember, Simon the Magician had all these powers. And so he saw Peter, he saw the apostles, they were laying hands on the sick, and they were, people were getting healed. And he said, I want some of that. How much is it going to cost me to be able to do those things? Well, Peter finds out about it and says, heck to the no, you out of here. He rebukes him sternly. Why? Because it was a religious ideology that was trying to creep into the church, and he knew it was demonic, and he had no place. This also kind of feels like this new age spiritualism that's in our world today that does creep into the church, believe it or not. I've seen things that don't look like Jesus, but somehow have crept into the church. Then you have this religious asceticism, which means essentially it's what you do. The more you suffer, the more pain you go through, the, the, the deeper level your poverty, the greater spirituality. God's going to honor you for that. So the way you suffer. Hinduism is huge in this. If you know anything about the, the, the religion of Hindu, it, it's just, it's constant suffering and it's, it's, it's mutilation and they have million, I mean, ridiculous amount of gods and the whole point of it is to suffer for your God. This is a man, I just saw this this week, his name is Mahat Amir Bahardi Jahai, I don't know if that's right, Indian Sadhu or an ascetic who is known for claiming to have kept his right arm raised for 50 years as a testament to his devotion to the Hindu god Shiva and also because he wants world peace. He kept his arm up so long that his muscles began to atrophy and now he can't even bring it down because it would be perilous to cause potential nerve damage. You could see 
It's all skin and bones. But he believes that that is the way he can appeal to the gods. God will love me if I can do this. That sounds foolish and silly. But let me say to you that each one of these things I mentioned could be something that you're dealing with in your own life when you're in relationship with Jesus. Let me say it this way. Legalism is adding to the gospel. Mysticism is creating something new in the gospel. And asceticism is what you can do. Adding to, creating new, what you can do. If Paul was here today, not only would he talk about these, but he would add a fourth one, which is deconstruction. This is the new thing. I've been around people that are deconstructing their faith. People that know God. Some of them were pastors. They, they know enough of the word, but they truly don't know the word. And so what they do is they begin to second-guess things. How could there really be a God? And it usually centers, or it's interesting when I see people deconstructing their faith, usually it centers around cultural hot points. Like for somehow, some way, the culture's right and God needs to change to fit the culture. Barna released a study that said that a vast majority of Americans have a positive view of Jesus. Remember years ago, there was a shirt that came out that said, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, Jesus, he's a good dude. 63% of people in the U.S. said they've made a personal commitment to him. But Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, he said, if you ask anybody, any people in New York City about Jesus, they pretty much would say they love him. But then you ask them this question, what did he say and what did he do? And most people would have no idea. See, immaturity is me using words like drip and I-Y-K-Y-K-I, whatever that was again, and having no idea what it means just to try to be cool. But many times we do that in the church. We use the words. We know enough of the word to make it dangerous because immaturity comes from knowing just enough to feel important but not living it enough to become it. So if Paul was here today, which, you know, I believe he's cheering us from heaven, he'd want to sh show us how do we get to the simplicity and the power of the gospel? Because I want you to understand this. It's not about what you can do. It's about what's already been done. So I want to extrapolate a part of this chapter here, Colossians 1, 9 through 12, and I want to title it, How to Gain Wins, How to Gain W's. It says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul's praying for the church. He asked that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. You notice I have some W words here highlighted. Will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a matter worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened. Let's pause for a moment. Let's break this down a little bit. Number one, this is the word of God. Like we, we can't, Take this for granted. This is the written, the logos word of God. And many times people don't realize how important what is in this book for your life and mine. The word is preeminent. First of all, know this, that Paul is writing the word of God. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's writing a letter that has now been inserted into the canon of scripture. So we are reading the word of God. Number one, it's the word of God and it leads to understanding his will, the next W. As a pastor, many times people come to me and they say, I want to know what God has for my life. I want to know what God has. Many of us in this room, we're still trying to figure out, God, what do you have for me? What have you called me to do? Do you know that knowing his word, you understand his will? Sometimes we think, well, that's just too easy. Like, I want a prophetic word. I want a vision. I want a sign. I want Jesus to manifest in front of us. Well, you have the word of God. 
This is sharper than any two-edged sword. You have the will. This is his will. Read this. He will talk to you through it and share with you his will. And it says, from the word, you will understand his will, and you will be filled with wisdom. Turn to somebody and say, you need wisdom. Wisdom is good. Listen, the dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern and judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintances in your life. Knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. And I feel like the church has a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of wisdom. That's why I find in Scripture it says pray for wisdom. Song of Solomon. I mean, not we don't go there. Uh, Solomon. Solomon talks about wisdom. He asks, God says, I'll give you anything. I want wisdom. And I think many of us in the church today, we have a lot of knowledge about God, but we don't have the wisdom on how to apply it to our lives. So what happens here? Paul says, you know the word. You'll understand his will. You'll be filled with wisdom to what? Walk worthy. You want to walk worthy? You got to know his word. You got to be filled with his word. You're struggling with a sin habit in your life. Start getting in his word. Start understanding his will for your life. Do you know that most sin, most sin can be averted when you know who you are in Christ? That's too simple. No, it's not. Because when God tells you who you are, and he begins to give you a purpose and a plan, those sin habits, you begin looking at them go, they're just getting in the way of my calling. So you look at sin differently when you know who you are in Christ. You're filled with wisdom. You walk worthy. And then you bear fruit in every good work. Say work. Work. Now notice this. The work did not come first. It's at the end. Paul is writing to all of the religious junk that is creeping into the church. And it said, it's not your work that starts it. It's God's finished word. It's what he has already done. You can't earn this. You can't earn his will. You can't earn his wisdom. You can't earn walking worthy. What you do is you get in his word, you get to know who he is. And this is a byproduct. And out of knowing all of these things, guess what happens? You actually produce good work. Good fruit. Somebody need to hear that today. Because it's not about your works, that's legalism. It's not about your thoughts, that's mysticism. And it's not about your response. That's asceticism. It's about what he has done. Pastor Mark, that's too simple. This is my message today to you. It's what he has done. Because sometimes we can get all, wait, listen, I love the gifts. You know that. We're a church that operates in the gifts. We're a church that believes that there's a purpose and calling on your life. We're a church that's praying for and believing for revival. But let me just say this. If we first don't get this right, If we first don't understand this, we will absolutely get off course. We have a lot of churches that think they're spiritually so enlightened, mysticism, that they have all the things at their disposal, but they don't understand that it's nothing. God says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless he builds the church, we labor in vain. Now, let me give you some bonuses. Go back to the next slide if you could. I want to share with you in the next slide. Now, I highlighted some blue things there. All power. Look at this. It says this. It says, 
according, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. Do you know that when you walk in the ways of God, there's an inheritance for you? One person said yes. I want you to hear me. You have an inheritance. Has anyone ever had a natural inheritance? Have you ever got an inheritance for someone that passed away? Raise your hand if you have. And, and you know how cool it is, right? Because not only are you inheriting things from loved ones, but sometimes you get gifts. And so all of a sudden, the, the greatest thing is like when you discover like your uncle, like who nobody really knew, all of a sudden he's sitting on a couple million and you're like, oh man, I always liked him. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's my favorite uncle, right? Well, let me just say this to you. You are sitting on a great inheritance. It is given to you by your father, God. He has given you a great inheritance. And look what you get. Can I tell you what you get? But wait, there's more. I'm gonna show you. You get to walk in power. You get to walk in his glory. That's another W. We know what that is? That's the weight of his presence. Come on now. And you get what? The power, the glorious might. You get endurance. How many people need endurance today? How many times have I heard people say, I'm burned out, I'm tired, I'm exhausted? You have endurance. Oh, it keeps going. You get patience. Oh, well, that's, I don't want that one. No, you need that one. You need that one. And you get joy. Woo! How many know the joy of the Lord is your strength? See, Paul is saying, you're trying to add all this stuff to the gospel. You're letting all this stuff in. But if you get back to the simplicity that it's Jesus and nothing else, in that revelation and that understanding, guess what happens? You get the inheritance of Jesus. The moment we muddy it up, the moment we invite all this other junk. Listen, I'm telling you today, if Paul was here today, if Paul was still preaching today, he is in the word, but if he was alive and well here, he'd be saying the same message to the church today because it's still here. We're walking around trying to invoke God's presence. We're trying to walk around gain his love, gain his acceptance. God, would you please love me? God, show up. And God says, I'm with you to the end of the ages. You don't have to beg me to show up. I'm here. I want to move. Just let me move. Let me do my thing. Come on now. And many of us were trying to work it up. And I believe that there is a large majority of people here today that if I were to peel you like an onion and get to the core center, there's something in you that still feels like you have to earn his love. If I show up to church, something good's gonna happen this week. You know, if I tithe, if I, ooh, if I tithe 11%, oh, it's all, man. I'm getting that vacation. It's gonna happen. You know, you know, you know, if, if I give away something, all it is is like a Hindu man with an arm raised for 50 years. And all you're doing is suffering, and it matters nothing. This doesn't gain world peace. And this sure doesn't make an elephant God happy. See, Paul is writing this from jail. Let's talk about that for a moment. <laughs> How many of us know if we were in jail, I wouldn't be worried about you? <laughs> I'd be like Shawshank Redemption, man. I'd be like chiseling away at the wall. You know what I mean? Like, I'm getting out of this place. But Paul is in prison, and all he is consumed with is the healthiness of the church. He's praying for the church. You know, the beginning of this letter was, I hope you're praying for me. I'm in jail. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm praying for you. Let's even break it down. He's in house arrest in Rome. And he's with some of the elite guards of the emperor. 
And, and some people believe that he would be chained to them. Now, here's the cool thing about Paul. He's in prison, house arrest. There's nothing else. He's waiting for his trial. What does he do? He preaches the gospel. People are coming to the home getting saved. Guards are getting saved. And they can't do anything else to him because he's already in jail. This is the extreme joy that Paul has in preaching the gospel. He realizes nothing else is matters like this. How come he's so passionate? Because he was on the other side of it. He was Saul, who was persecuting the church, killing Christians, locking them up, holding the coats of those that were stoning other Christians. Paul was that man. When he was transformed, he realized nothing else matters than furthering the gospel and building up the church. My question to you today is, are we personally convicted to protect his church like Paul was? Are we so quick to run away from the church? As soon as the church gets crazy, I ain't part of that. <laughs> no, no, they're crazy people over there. Or how many of us are like praying for the church? Like church, wake up. Some of you know my story. When I was about 35 years old, I found out from my mother that I should not be alive today. I was brought back to life. It was a miracle what God has brought me back from. Something happened to me that day. I remember that day. It's in the kitchen at our table. My mom shared her testimony. And it transformed my life. I realized I've been given a second chance and I'm not going to squander this. And I decided from that moment on that I'll do whatever it takes to further the gospel. I'll unify the church. I love the church. Do you know there's a lot of stuff wrong with the church? Did you know that, Tim? It happens, right, with any organization. But for some reason, when it happens in the church, we go, oh, God, here it is again. And we start deconstructing things. And Paul's talked about this. See, we don't know the word enough to be, like, we're surprised. It's amazing. We get so surprised when the church is off. But meanwhile, Paul talks about it in his epistles. He talks about, he says, he says, these things must happen. These disagreements these conflicts, because then it shows the authenticity of the saints. Like, like if you can love God and still go through tough things with people in the church, guess what? You really love Jesus. It's so interesting. What a revelation. What a revelation that you're going to go through tough things in the church. And for some of us in this room, you are amazed that somebody could hurt you in the church. When let me just tell you, hurt people come to church. And hurt people hurt people. And even people that love Jesus sometimes do the wrong thing. In fact, can I just, by the show of hands, how many people have ever sinned? Raise your hand, just so we could see that. Just so you know, okay? I'm going to make sure. If you don't have your hand up, you're sinning right now. It's called lying. Just put your hand up one more time. Just, just one more time. Everyone's a sinner in this place. Ah, oh, just breathe deep. Ah, oh, I don't have to perform anymore. We're all sinners saved by grace. We've been transformed. And Paul is saying, like, look, stop trying to deconstruct. Stop trying to add. Stop trying to manipulate things. Because you want God to do certain things that you want. See, the whole deconstruction movement is essentially us trying to make God do things that we want him to do so that he fits culture. And I'm telling you, I don't want my God to fit our culture. I want my culture to be fit under God. That's a difference. That's the difference. Who are we to tell God, the creator of the universe, who I am, what sex and gender I can be? Who are we to tell God that, that life doesn't matter, that we can abort children just because it's an inconvenience to my time in life? These are things that we are deconstructing. 
and I'm listening to people, and I walk out, my heart grieves. I get angry. I'm going, Lord, please heal your church. Because I want to be like Paul, not writing off a church, but if I'm in jail, I'm going to be like, church, I'm still praying for you. I'm still believing for you. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Come on now. That's a next level Christianity. And for some reason, the church has gotten soft. We sit back and we whine and we complain. It's too tough to live. And Paul's like, I'm in jail. (laughs) I'm in jail, by the way, and I'm still cheering you on. How much more so? We have Paul's letters to encourage us. I keep going back to this. Listen, I didn't pick this, I didn't pick this title, this message. I, I, we're going through Colossians, so I have to extrapolate what I believe the first chapter is. And so when I was sitting all this week, I thought, this is a simple message. This is a simple message. Verse 25, it says, to make the word of God fully known. How am I going to make that a cool message? Everybody's like, well, that's the greatest message you ever preached, Pastor I don't know. Maybe sometimes it's not about entertaining people. It's about going back to the simplicity that it is the word of God. You don't need a prophetic word to tell you. You need to read the word of God. (laughs) You want a word from God? Don't call up Scott. Well, sometimes you can. But I'm saying, sometimes open your Bible. And say, God, speak to me in the ancient text that still applies to 2023. How much more beautiful when we partner the logos with the rhema word of God. And now you have the written and the spoken. And they don't contradict each other, but they edify each other. Come on, how much more so will that ignite a church to awaken to the beauty of what God is doing? See, Paul had more freedom in prison than the church he was writing to. He had more freedom and he was having more good time chained up to a guard than the church because the church was acting a fool, but Paul knew who he was. And he said, look, I'm in jail. It's okay. Can't put me in jail again. I'm already here. So I might as well keep on preaching and saying people give their lives to Jesus. See, let me say this to you today. Some of you, you're battling with your past. You're looking at your past and you think about all the bad things you did. Guess what? Paul could have done that. And he would not have been effective, nor would he have written most of the New Testament. But Paul chose to not look at his past anymore, but to look at his future in Christ. And so I want you to hear me today. Immaturity is looking at your past. Maturity in Christ is saying, look what God can do in me despite my past. It's time to grow up, church. It's time to stop coming to church to be entertained and start being the church to go after the lost. It's time to awaken the church to address the wrongs in the church. You know, I'm not going to pick apart the lost. They're lost. They do things that broken people do. So if you work in an environment with people that don't know Jesus, don't be surprised when they curse and they do things that you're like, that's not biblical. But the moment it comes into the church, we have an obligation to say, that's not biblical. And we have to hold a higher level. We have to hold the line. We have to say, not as long as there's breath in my lungs, even if I'm in jail, I'm going to preach the truth and the, and the simplicity of the gospel, that it's Jesus and nothing else. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't pray your way to heaven. You can't tithe your way to heaven. You can't serve your way to heaven. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And Paul was here today. He keeps saying it. Make it about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. Time to grow up. I watch articles and videos of churches 
and they're doing the craziest of things. There's a video going around where there's all these drag queens on the stage and a priest is saying a prayer written to accept drag queens and God is, and, and I'm listening to it and I'm saying, this is exactly what Paul would have been writing to. Yeah. How can you let that into the church? Right. Now let me say this, God loves every person on that stage. That's the beauty of the gospel. But the moment we try to make that the gospel, the moment God says, not on my watch. Paul says, no, 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 it's time to wake up. For some of us in this room, we've been doing this. For years, we've been just doing, Lord, if I can suffer, if I, you know, I, God, you'll love me more if I, whatever that is. It's interesting, this man did it so long that now his arm is useless. Some of you today, God wants to awaken you. It's not about what you can do for him, but it's what he already did for you. And out of that love, oh, out of that relationship, it's a joy for me to serve him. Today, I want to do something as we land this today. I want to pray for your loved ones. Because there's people in this room that you have people that are deconstructing their faith. There's people in this room that you've lost family members to mysticism. I, I, I was in Arizona and Sedona, and there, there's all sorts of weird portals and people stacking rocks on each other. They believe that Sedona is a gateway. It's a portal to some kind of spiritual awakening. and All the aliens are showing up. And listen, all I can say is, is when I go there, I just think, Jesus, please, show yourself to these people. Let them experience what it really means to, to know Jesus, the ultimate spirit, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you, you have family members that have been bound up by religiousness, legalism, whatever it is. Today, we're going to pray for them. We're going to spend the next two minutes. I want you just to begin to ask the Lord and call them by name. Lord, I pray for my uncle, whatever his name is. Just begin to pray right now. And we're going to ask the band to, to play in a little bit. Before we do, my hope is that as the body of Christ, that we get this right. Because when I read the, the, the letters that Paul writes, it's the same theme over and over again, Mary V. It's the same thing. He's constantly trying to get the church back to the basics. The Paul, can you get a new word? Like, get a new, get a new angle. Like, I mean, you know, he talks about other things, but usually the crust of everything is you go back to, it's not your works, it's Christ. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. And I'm thinking, why does he keep going back to it? Because this is what we keep missing up. We keep messing it up. We keep adding other things. So today, while we lift up those loved ones right now, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would encounter them today. Come on, I want you just to begin to pray for them by name right now. Come on, church, some of these are your family members, they're co-workers, they're people you were raised with. Just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to open their eyes. Let them see the love of Jesus. Let them have an encounter. I'm, I'm asking for angels to, right now, to be sent on assignment to go after these people, that they would have encounters. Come on, let's, let's believe radical prayers for people, that they would have encounters with God, that they would not be lost in their mysticism or their legalism or their religiosity, whatever it is. God, would they have an encounter with your grace?
Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.